Good morning. Ooh, this thing's live. I was told recently that uh, in life we only need two tools, WD-40 and duct tape. If it should move and it doesn't, you use WD-40. If it shouldn't move and it does, you use duct tape. I don't know. I guess in the, uh, in the physical realm that's true, but in the spiritual realm there's some other tools that we need. You were wondering where I was going with that. And I think the primary one is prayer. We're in a, a series about prayer. My friend Bob Kilpatrick wrote a book entitled Sacred Synergy, and he said this, The church rises in power when it falls on its knees in prayer. The strength of the church is not in programs, nor its influence in society, governments, or culture, but in its reach into, into heaven to the very throne room of God. And I think he's exactly right. So this morning, I'm going to talk less about what I might call the principles of prayer, and what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to look at some examples of prayer. We're going to, we're going to kind of listen in onto some people praying. We're going to eavesdrop on their prayers, if you will, and and see if we can glean something from what they're saying. And I need to tell you that uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of a Bible workout this morning. Most of the time in my notes that we hand out, um, I've got scriptures all listed out, uh, written out actually there, because typically I only use like, you know, a verse or two here and a verse or two there, where we're going to actually look at some lengthy sections of scripture. And so all you have is actually the, the references, for the most part, in your notes. So you're going to need to have your, your Bible, either on your phone or your tablet or... Actually, Anybody have a paper? But never mind. Um, actually opened and uh, um, checking this out as we're going through. I know that's going to be a little bit of a challenge, but uh, let's, let, let's see what happens. Let's pray. Father, we ask right now that as we, as we look at this issue of prayer, that you would speak into our hearts, that you would, would guide us, that you would show us, that you would lead us into the things that we need to more understand. Lord, we're trusting you to do that because you are faithful always. Amen. Amen. We're going to start with the story of Elisha in the Old Testament, and there's lots of sections of that that we can go to. We're going to look at the, the story where, where the king of Syria is wanting to, to attack Israel, and he keeps getting thwarted. You know, every time he makes plans, um, God tells the plans to Elisha, and Elisha tells the king of Israel, and it doesn't work. And, and the king of Syria is really upset. He thinks there's a mole, or there, there, there's somebody there, you know, in his cabinet or whatever, who's, who's telling the plans. And somebody says, well, no, no, actually, it's Elisha. And so the king of Syria sends an army to, to take out Elisha. And if you remember the story, then the next morning, um, Elisha's servant looks out the window, and he sees all of this, you know, all these soldiers out there, and he's kind of rattled by this. 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 15, it says this, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. You know, I thought it was... Sorry, I've got to interrupt here just for a minute. I thought it was interesting that the very first song that Dan planned this morning... Does anybody remember? Yeah, I'm like, this is the first illustration I'm talking about. Is God orchestrating something here? So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Uh, I want to look at this a little bit, but the first thing that strikes me is that Elisha prays twice here, 
And if you count, he prays in two prayers a total of 16 words. Our prayers don't need to be lengthy. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with lengthy prayers. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying if you feel inadequate because you don't pray lengthy prayers, it's okay. Elijah here, twice. Total of 16 words. Goodness gracious. Let's just pray. Who cares how long it is? Sorry, throwing stuff. Thought I was Michael McDevitt there for a minute. I, where is he? Oh. <laughs> I, I find it interesting here that the same God who strikes this army blind in the New Testament is the same one who makes blind eyes see. And please understand, that is not like a, a shift from Old Testament to New Testament. It's not like, like something changed there and now this is, this is the way that God does it. You know, I think of, of Brother Andrew, Bible smuggler back in the 70s, and they're taking Bibles into Eastern Europe, and he would pray, God, you made blind eyes see. I'm asking you to make seeing eyes blind so we can get these Bibles through. And the stories of the, the guards looking right at these stacks of Bibles and passing them on through because they didn't see it. So this isn't a, a, an Old Testament versus... This is God works differently in different situations. You know, if, if you think there's supposed to be a set pattern of how stuff is supposed to work as we pray, there's not. Um, right, right here in this section, God opened the eyes of Elisha's servant and he closed the eyes of the other guy. So it's not like there's a, a certain way, a settled pattern of how, how it's supposed to work. If you're looking for a pattern of this is, this is how prayer always works, this is, this is the word that we should always use, this is the direction that we should always go, you're not going to find it in the Bible. Now, I think it can be good for us at times to pray the prayers of other people. Look at the book of Psalms. You know, there, there's lots of prayers throughout history. I think those can be good for us. They can help give us a vocabulary uh, of prayer, if you will. But at the same time, we need prayers that are guided by the Holy Spirit. We need to be listening to His voice as we're praying. Let's look at another prayer in the Bible. King David was fleeing from uh, his son Absalom, and, and David had this counselor named Ahithophel. And, say that five times fast. And Ahithophel had gone over to Absalom, and in 2 Samuel 16, 23, it says, in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. So he's a counselor, he's an advisor, and apparently a pretty good one. He had a lot of wisdom. Apparently he could look at a situation, kind of size it up, and, and offer great counsel. He's the, he's the guy you want on your team, all right? But, but he's gone over to Absalom, so, so David prays. Um, 2 Samuel 15, 31. It was told to David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So David prays that this guy's wisdom is going to be thwarted, if you will. It's going to be you know, kind of set aside. And, and that actually happens a couple of chapters later. Uh, Absalom is looking for some advice. Ahithophel gives his. Somebody else gives theirs. And this time everybody says, uh, no, we think this other guy is, has better advice than, than Ahithophel in this particular situation. And I love what happens, 2 Samuel 17, 14, for the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel. The Lord had ordained. This was, this was God's doing that Absalom didn't listen to him. And it was a direct answer to David's prayer. And I find it interesting that the, the, the Bible here refers to Ahithophel's 
counsel as being good. I mean, think about that. Apparently, if Absalom would have listened to him, it could have changed the whole thing. Maybe David would have been taken out. But God thwarted that. But see, here's the thing. If I can say it this way, upending wisdom is not the way it always works. We're told that if we need wisdom, we're supposed to ask for it, right? So again, I'm saying there's not a set pattern of how this is supposed to work. We need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. See, we, as human beings, we like formulas. We like it to be a certain way. And if it works this time, then we're going to do it the same way next time. And I would suggest to you that that's not what God's after. See, God is after relationship with us. And the spiritual disciplines, things like, like you know, intentionally taking time to read our Bible and pray and meditate and all those kinds, of, those spiritual disciplines are really good for us, but they're not the end. The end is the relationship. And so we need to be listening to him, paying attention to his voice. As we, not just this is what we've always done, what we've always done in the past, what's worked in the past. So there's not a pattern, but I will say that regardless of whether there, there would or not be a pattern, that, um, prayer, that God works through our prayers. God works through our prayers. Billy Graham, great quote, he, he once said, the mystery and wonder of prayer is that God waits until someone asks. I love that. He does. He waits until somebody asks. Think of, think of Daniel in the Old Testament. You know, all right, I'll say it. Crazy King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, he, he has this dream and he wants his, his spiritual advisors, his advisors, to tell him not only what the dream meant, but what the dream was. Now, that's just crazy. I mean, that's insane. Nobody can do that, right? And, and, and if they didn't do it, then they're all going to die. You know, this guy's just kind of off the rails. Daniel 2, verses 17 and 18. Then Daniel went to his house. This is after he's met with Nebuchadnezzar, Okay. Daniel went to his house, made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And you know the end of the story. God gave Daniel not just the, 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 the interpretation, but what the dream actually was. But think about it. God could have told Daniel while he was there with Nebuchadnezzar exactly what the dream was and what it meant. Would that have been too hard for God? No, he could have done it right then and there, but he didn't. He waited until they prayed. God wants us to pray. See, prayer, prayer shows our dependence on God. That we, Lord, we can't do this without you. We need you. Quote that I came across recently, I thought it was pretty profound. The things that you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. Ouch. Anybody else as convicted by that as I was when I first read it? I mean, think about all the things you, that you don't pray about. Now, I'm not telling you that you need to pray about, I don't know, what breakfast cereal to eat every morning, all right? But there's a lot of stuff that we probably ought to be praying about that we're not. Hello? See, when we pray, we're, again, demonstrating our dependence on the Lord. And, and, and look at what happened in this situation. Not only were Daniel and his friends saved from the, 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 the you know, if you read the scripture there, pretty gruesome death is what they were talking about. 
but they were put into positions of authority in this pagan country. And, and Daniel himself went on to be a spiritual influence to three successive powerful kings. And it happened because Daniel and his friends prayed. God works through our prayers. Came across this true story recently about a woman from Australia. Her name was Cherie, and she wrote this. When I was 10 years old, Dad told me about Grandpa. Then he, that he was an American soldier who lived a long way away and whom he did not know. From that point on, I would daydream about him, shaping him in my imagination to be the grandfather I would have loved to have had. Every American man beyond 40 that we met, I would somehow hope it was him. So apparently, several years went by before the story kind of continues. Uh, Cherie's father was looking for his father, Cherie's grandfather. But this is in the 1990s, and, and the, the tools that we have available today on the Internet were not available. So he's working through various organizations trying to find his father, but to, to no success. He only knew two things for sure about his father. One, that he was an American, and um, second, that his name was Virgil Needham Hale. So he searched, but he was unsuccessful. So Cherie really wanted to get to meet and get to know her grandfather, and so she prayed that they would be able to find him. So then she wrote this. Sometime later, there was a young American man riding his bike around Australia. That's where they live. Choosing an unlikely inland route, he had the misfortune of a flat tire. This happened right outside my parents' place, five kilometers south of Nanango, Queensland. He almost went unnoticed when he walked into their little, wood, their little woodworking gallery, but by chance, my sister Carla caught him as he walked back out the door. She drove him into town to have his bike repaired, and as he had to wait overnight, he camped in her backyard. The young man was American, and for some unknown reason, my sister asked him, do you know Virgil Needham Hale? Now, now just pause there for a minute. As I travel... I have numerous times told people that I live in the St. Louis area. And a number of times I've had people say, hey, you wouldn't happen to know. And my answer has always been no. You know, I mean, the greater metro area of St. Louis is two and a half million people. All right, the chances of me knowing this person they just mentioned is one in 2.5 million, right? Okay, so this story... Back in 1990, the population of the United States was 250 million people. So the chance of this guy knowing Virgil Needham Hale was 1 in 250 million. That's impossible. That's worse than the lottery, all right? This is not going to happen. Cherie wrote this, his surprising response. Yes, I do believe he is the minister at my grandmother's church in Lebanon, Virginia. And the guy was right. And they end up meeting and she gets to know her grandfather. But the point is that this was clearly, clearly, clearly an answer to prayer. He shows up at their doorstep because he's got a flat tire on his bicycle. It's clearly an answer to prayer. There's no other way to explain it. It's a popular song on the radio. How do miracles just happen like that? You can say the stars aligned, but... I know that it's more than timing. God hears and responds to our prayers. That quote from Billy Graham, the mystery and wonder of prayer is that God waits until someone asks. Are you asking? One of my favorite examples, and you guys have heard me talk about this before, one of my favorite examples of prayer in the whole Bible is the story of when King uh, uh, Hezekiah was sick. 
2 Kings chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. That should have been the end of the story. God spoke. I mean, if a prophet with a proven track record of prophecy, if Isaiah comes to you and says, Hey, you need to get ready because you're about to cash it in. What's your response? Oh my gosh, it's over. I mean, that's stronger than a, a doctor's diagnosis, right? If, if this man of God says, this is what God says, that's got to be a little bit unsettling. But then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord saying, now, Lord, please remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So Hezekiah prays, he cries out to God. What happens? Before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, of your, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I will add 15 years to your life. God spoke clearly and plainly to Isaiah that he had heard Hezekiah's prayer. And Hezekiah was getting an extra 15 years as a result. Now, I'm not saying that's always going to be the case, all right? But I am saying that if you just give in to those circumstances, you don't pray, you're probably not going to get the extra 15 years. Pray. Let me say this. There are, there are situations, there are times when we are in situations that we are, like Hezekiah here, when we are practically forced to pray, to engage in prayer with God because we're being so compelled by the situation. I think of Hannah in the Old Testament. You remember Hannah. Um, she didn't have a child. She desperately wanted a child. First Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramoth Zophim on the hill of the country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, the Ephrathite. He had two wives. The, names, the name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children and Hannah had no children. And you know the story. Peninnah would, would laugh at and make fun of Hannah because she didn't have kids. And Elkanah would try to comfort her, but she felt like she was less because she was barren. Some of you have experienced what Hannah was going through, but I don't know that he did to the extent that she did because she, she's one of two wives. There's an added dimension here. And, and verse 6 of this chapter refers to Peninnah as Hannah's rival. It's the word it uses. And so, so, so her rival is belittling her, is, is badgering her. I got kids, you don't. <laughs> so not only is she barren, but she's being picked on as a result of it. She's being bullied because of it. So she's struggling big time, and as a result, she turns to prayer. Beginning in verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And you know the end of the story. God caused her to have a baby who became one of the greatest prophets and priests in the Old Testament, Samuel. But it was out of a situation that, that pretty much forced her to pray. Ever been there? 
woman named MJ wrote this. There was a time when I thought I had a pretty decent marriage, but seven years in, all that changed. I had just given birth to my third son, so at first I chalked it up to having a new baby, but as time went on, I found out that my husband had been having an affair for several months. Not only did my husband tell me that he was choosing the other woman, but he also said he, had, he no longer considered himself a Christian. After months of pleading with him to give us another chance, I realized that he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to and made the painful decision to take my kids and leave him. Suddenly, I was a single mom working three jobs and barely getting by. I began to pray like I had never prayed before. I began to pray like I had never prayed before. I prayed for my husband to want us back. I prayed for the other woman to realize how much she was hurting us. I prayed for eyes to see the flaws in myself. More than anything, I prayed for God to turn my husband's heart back to him because it tortured me to know he had turned away from God. God didn't answer my prayers quickly, but in time, things began to change. My husband made a decision to end his affair after two years and became more invested in our kids and me again. We decided we were in a pretty good place, and I brought the kids to visit him. During our visit, it was obvious that my husband had made some serious changes in his life. I would say that he was more like the man I married, but that isn't true. He was far better than that man. He'd begun going back to church, and it was clear he was determined to fix what had been broken between us. We decided to wait month, a few months to make sure that getting back together was the right decision. During those months, I continually prayed that God would make the changes in my husband so unbelievable that I would be confident that it wasn't just me seeing what I wanted to, but that it would truly be God at work in him. When we got back together, we began attending a new church and became involved in several activities and Bible studies at the suggestion of my husband. A few months ago, my kids and I even had the pleasure of seeing him get baptized. The changes in him have, in fact, been unbelievable. Not only has God answered my prayer to restore my marriage, but he has done more than I could have ever asked or imagined in the heart of my husband. It's been a few years and our marriage is better than ever because we're both committed to each other and to Christ. I know that the changes in my husband and the healing of my marriage are the answer to, my, to many prayers to my faithful father. That woman was basically forced to pray, if you will. She was desperate, kind of like Hannah in the Old Testament before Samuel. So she prayed, prayed like she had never prayed before, she said, and God worked powerfully. I think sometimes God allows those situations to compel us to pray, to cry out to him, to recognize how much we need him. And let me add this, just because we don't see the, the manifestation of what we asked for immediately, that doesn't mean that God's not at work in our prayer. Scripture tells us that it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises of God. You know, the early church was in one of those kind of forced to, into prayer kind of modes. Remember when Peter was in prison, Acts chapter 12? About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So, so John's brother James was killed. Peter is thrown into to prison and guarded securely. This had to have shaken those early believers. Two main leaders, James killed, Peter thrown into prison. What are they going to do at that point? Well, if they had learned anything at all from Jesus, they're going to pray, right? And that's what they did. Earnest prayer for Peter was made to God by the church. 
And what does it say that happened? Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. This is pretty secure. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him. I don't know, I just, sorry, a little aside here. I, I like a little gentle tap or something. Struck him in the side. I, sorry, I, <clears throat> I digress. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. I love the, the point by point instructions there. The, pe- the people had prayed and God answered. I think it was a a few weeks ago when, when Wayne was preaching, he said that, that God wants to answer our prayers. He does. I mean, think of it. God is a good father. You know, as a, as a parent, if my kids were to ask me for something that, that is good, going to help them, going to help somebody else perhaps, I want to supply that. I want to do that. And if I'm like that, how much more is our heavenly father? But here's the deal. I have limited resources. They might ask me for something that I can't afford or I I don't have access to. Guess what? God doesn't have those limitations. He's got everything. And he's our good father and he wants to answer our prayers. He wants us to pray. You you probably remember the the, the story in 2 Chronicles 20 of the time when the three different uh, uh, armies came against uh, Jehoshaphat and and Judah. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came up against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and from beyond, and, and behold, they are Hazes and Tamar. I think I picked scriptures that had really big names in it today just to challenge myself. I don't know. <laughs> that is, and Gedites. Then Je- Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek, the, seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? The first part of that prayer kind of reminds me of what we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not in heaven? Jehoshaphat is, is putting his eyes and the eyes of the people on the place that it needs to be, on the Lord. And for us, we need to recognize that as we pray our Father in heaven, when Jehoshaphat prays here, it's, he's not referring to some you know, place out in outer space. Actually, heaven is, is here. It's as here as here is. It's just invisible. God is right here with us. You know, how often did, did Jesus say that the kingdom of heaven is among you, is within you? You know, as I read scripture more and more recently, I am, I am more convinced that heaven is not so much a destination as it is a realm. That it's not just the, it's, it's, it's not just the, 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 that place out there. It's right here. We're, we're in the physical realm, but the invisible realm that's all around us, that's God's dwelling place. What, why, did, why did Jesus tell us to pray, your will be done on earth in the physical realm, just like it is in the spiritual realm, like it is in heaven? See, I think we're, we're like Elisha's servant. We need to have our eyes opened. We need to see that, that realm. And that's what, that's what Jehoshaphat is praying here. Oh, Lord God, our, of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Are you not in the spiritual realm? Are you not in the unseen realm? And can you not bring help from that realm? Of course you can. And then Jehoshaphat goes on to remind himself of how great God is. You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might. 
so that none is able to withstand you. That, I mean, just those words right there ought to give us pause. You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Your hand or power and might. If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he goes on to, to call to mind what God has done and his promises. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. So he's remembering what God has done. He's remembering the promise of God. So think about it. Up until now, Jehoshaphat hasn't asked for anything. He's reminded himself and his people who they're praying to. He's reminding himself and his people how great God is. He's reminded himself and the people that God has promised to intervene on their behalf. And honestly, I think that's not a bad model for us to consider as we pray. Before we, before we ask for anything, Maybe we need to remember some stuff, like who God is, like how great he is, the God of wonders beyond our galaxy, like what he's done in the past. Maybe we need to peek into the spiritual realm, if you will, and see God, because when we do those things, we are more prepared to come before God in confidence in him. So finally, now that Jehoshaphat has done all of that, He's, he's ready to lay out his request. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade uh, when they came from the, the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat is praying here from a posture of, of confidence with humility. He's not, he's not haughty. He's not saying, we deserve this. No, he's humbly coming before God, saying, God, we need you. He's confident at the same time in God. And I love what happens next because the, the Lord speaks into their situation. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, here they come, son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them in the, uh, at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeriel. You will not stand, you, oh, excuse me, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. You know, Warren last week uh, when he was sharing, he said that, that prayer is a dialogue. He said you haven't finished praying until you listen. And I think he's right. And that's what the people of Judah were doing. They waited and they listened to what God was saying. And I do want to point out that this was a really big deal here. Um, this entire people group was in, uh, in, 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 at the point of per peril. They're, they're, they, could, they could be wiped out any second by this great horde that's coming in. So this is a big deal. I remember Pastor Nick talking years ago about this section of scripture. And it says that it gives this guy's pedigree, his ancestry, his background, because this was a big deal. If, if someone is going to, to speak into a situation where we're all going to do something together, 
where everybody is together going to move on this prophetic word, if you will, and it's a, a kind of a high level thing where we could all lose our lives if this isn't right, then we want to know this guy has a true proven background of hearing from God. And apparently that's what the, that, that's all about. And what does God say? Well, first he starts off with, don't be afraid. I love that. Don't be afraid. He likes to encourage us. And then he goes on and he lists out some very specific things that are going to happen. You know, if, if I'm there and the next day we're, we're following what this guy says and I, and I don't see what he said yesterday, all of a sudden now I'm afraid, okay? <laughs> you, you with me? But if I'm seeing the very specific signs of what he said, this was God, clearly this was God. Are you following me? We need to be listening to what he's saying. And then he follows it up at the end again with, don't be afraid. He's encouraging them. And if you remember... This was the time they sent the singers out ahead of the army. You know, I, having traveled a lot, I have numerous times heard people say that Israel always sent the singers out ahead of the army. That is not true. It isn't, I'm sorry. There's nothing in scripture that suggests that. But they did this time because God told them. But here's the deal. After this work, you know what the temptation is the next time? Exactly. Yeah because it worked last time, but maybe that's not what God's saying this time. You following me? That's why we need to be listening. We need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what are you saying in this situation? Not just what worked last time. You know, sending the singers out ahead of the... That's crazy. That's like, it's like I don't know, spitting on the ground, making mud and putting it on some guy. Right? God doesn't always do things, tell us to do things that make perfect sense in our minds. He just doesn't. I'm sorry. I'll tell you a true story. A woman named Linda was very concerned about her son because he was in a relationship with a, a woman who was um, very immoral and very unrepentant. And then she got to find out, as Linda got to find out more about this woman, it was even worse than what she had thought at first. And so Linda cried out to God. And she said this, I cannot hear one more word about this. I just want to know what you and I, talking to God, what you and I are going to do about it. I love that. The, the, the boldness that she's saying, hey, I, what, what are we going to do? You know, I'm, I'm picturing that what Linda's doing is, is, is she's waiting for her marching orders. God, what are you saying? What am I supposed to do in this situation? How are we going to handle this? God's response to Linda was that he wanted her to worship him. Well, how's that going to help? But Linda didn't ask that question. She was a worshiper. She was perfectly willing to do that. And she decided if that's what God's saying, I'm going to do it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to add some sacrifice to this. I'm going to get up early every morning and I'm going to worship God. So next morning she gets up at 3 a.m. Like what? 3 a.m. And she spends an hour praising, dancing before him, just worshiping God. For the next six weeks, every morning at 3 o'clock, she gets up without the help of her alarm and spends an hour worshiping God for six weeks. And after six weeks, God let her know that she was done, that it was done, the situation was changed. She didn't need to get up early and do that anymore. That afternoon, she got a phone call from her son saying that his eyes had been opened and he had ended the relationship. 
don't get that. I really don't. What difference did it make that Linda got up every morning and worshipped? And yet that's what God said to do. Why send the singers out ahead of the army? Why spit on the ground and make mud? I don't, I don't get it. But if that's what God says to do, that's why we need to be listening, paying attention to his voice. We point out that it was a month and a half. Linda didn't see the answer right away. It was a month and a half. Sometimes it's longer than that. You guys, some of you know that. Our instant society wants things instantaneously. God doesn't always work that way. When, when Jehoshaphat prayed, God could have immediately wiped out the other army. Could have annihilated the entire army. No problem. I mean, that, that's clearly not too hard for God, right? Could have done that. But he didn't. He waited for the Israelites to do their part. We have a role to play, and we need to be listening to God for his marching orders, if you will. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. One other quote from Sacred Synergy. The weapons Paul refers to are offensive, not defensive. They are meant for attack. The Christian is not engaged merely in parrying the strikes of the enemy, warding off evil, protecting himself and the church, and catching his breath when the attack wanes. The Christian is called, armed, and empowered to take the fight to the enemy. We are meant to be the spiritual aggressors. Don't wait for the fight. Start the fight. Whew. And that's what we're called to. When we pray, as we come before God in prayer, we are being the spiritual aggressors. We are going after the situation. I'll leave you with a couple of thoughts. First, there's no set pattern that you always pray, always use these words, whatever, no. So we need to be listening. There is no set pattern, so we need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. And second, praying demonstrates our dependency on God. Lord, we need you in this situation. And we do, whatever situation it might be. And one final thought, and that is that all of this, everything I just said, only makes sense in the context of the cross. That we, we, don't, we don't come before God because we're worthy on our own because we've got it all together because we're cool people. No, we only come because he has come and rescued us, bought us back into right relationship. We are children. We're not beggars over on the side saying, oh, please, Mr. King up there someplace, would you? No, we are children of God who get to come boldly into the throne room of God and make our request known to him because he has rescued us and bought us back. Amen. And because he has, he wants us to do that. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful today that you have in your mercy made a way for us to come before you, to come before your throne, to know you. God, what, what a privilege that is right there. And so Lord, as we consider this whole issue of prayer, God, we ask that, that we would see all of it in light of the cross, that it's because of what you have done for us, because you have, have made us your children, because you have, have bought us back into right relationship with you, that we can come before you 
and pray. Lord, thank you. We ask that you would, in your mercy, consistently remind us of these things that we might pray the way that you want us to. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.